there's news that a new strain of COVID is breaking out in England. And they say it's 70% more transmissible than the one here in the U.S. So in response, our first plan of action must be to send Harry and Meghan back to London. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. Judge Amy Coney Barrett. If Joe Biden wins, Democrats can sack the courts. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Maybe that's a question you should ask China. Anyway, my time's up. I'm not thinking, Mr. That's okay. I know you're not thinking. You never do. It's a whole hoax. And you know who's playing into the hoax? People like you and the fake news media. We are born free and we will stay free. There you go. Uh, I mean, I, like I've, a good plan. I've supported that from the beginning, even before COVID. Um, well, we got an action-packed episode today, don't we, Josh? We got a huge episode today. Our good friend, uh, Guy Benson, has joined us for the second uh, half, and I know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, well, we're making an exception. Typically, we don't allow gentlemen significantly under six feet tall <laughs> on the show, but, you know, Guy is a friend, so we're, we're going to allow him. This exception. He's a whale of a guy. He's really entertaining. He's funny. And we try to give a little bit of a backstory on who Guy is. Everybody sees him on Fox and, and sees his commentary and his books and everything else. But we try to try to get a little insight into Guy. And he, uh, we had a good time with it. Yeah. Uh, it was very nice of you letting him on the show. Uh, <laughs> so what do we have in the lineup today? We, we, we've got the, the news cycle has been pretty interesting. Even, even though we've got Christmas upon us, you know, the news doesn't end, does it? No, it sure doesn't. We've got a COVID package to cover and the media fallout, both sides, which has been completely humiliating for the fourth estate. Again, like every single day is, but this one is just exceptionally bad. One thing I wanted to cover before we got to that, though, we did the the Christmas gift episode last Thursday and got a lot of just tremendous feedback on it. Smug people seem to love it. Yeah, it was Uh, a great episode. It was a great episode. I think you provided some some very good overview of what you ought to buy certain family members. But there was also, you know, some some tangible things. One thing that we left out. This holiday season, give the gift of Chinese espionage. Get your fella a fang bang. How, how is Swole not like facing more trouble over this? Like, other than like a Fox News reporter like camped outside his house whenever he comes home from from a run in the morning, no one is asking him any questions. Like, no Pelosi, none of the Dems are like, you know what? We we've got a guy compromised over here. They're they're totally okay with it. It's unbelievable. Fang Bang shows up, and apparently now, see, here's the funniest thing about this for me is that all four congressional leaders have now been briefed on his sexual encounters, allegedly, <sighs> with, Amazing. With, with Fang Fang. And um, imagine, imagine sitting through that meeting. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, they've got the details of what's going on. And, and so you've got to sit there with your fellow congressional leaders being like nodding along, yep, yep, okay, on this night this happened, okay, yep, yep, yep. That's so my favorite too. part is that McCarthy emerged from this and was like, no, nope, you shouldn't be on Intel. <laughs> yeah. If you heard what I heard, man. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, that, I, that, I don't even think I want to sit in on that meeting. I don't want to know these details. Well, I, I'll depart from you there. I want to know everything. <laughs> I want to know everything there is to know about Fang Fang and about the encounters. And, and just like Jeffrey Tubin, 
Ruthless is on the case. We are going to dogmatically pursue this story until you, the listener, understand everything there is to know. You know, we, I, I think the story isn't what has been presented to us. I think the honest story here is the, the torture of Fang Bang and what she had to go through because, good God, I don't care what kind of promotion the Chinese CIA promises you. Well, well, good God. Oh, man. There is, you know, much like we present stars at the CIA for fallen <laughs> officers. There's a fake I, I feel like there is somewhere in China a fang bang wall where they have presented someone who needs to sleep with the likes of Eric Swalwell. All game some, some game ball. <laughs> Good God. Oh, man. But also, also it should be said about that... Uh, uh, great episode that we had on Christmas wish lists and gift giving. Folks said, okay, but, you know, all jokes aside, what do you get, you know, that gentleman in your life, the gentleman who has everything or even the gentleman who has nothing right now needs it. What yeah. gift do you get them for the Christmas season? So I had, the, I had the, the good fortune of being able to talk with a bunch of minions over the last couple of days about sincere gifts and <laughs> One other thing I, I kept coming back to was, was bourbon. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's a general appreciation about it, it's got a dignity to it, frankly. Yeah. It's American. It's, it's right there in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. But it's, it's also just, it says something about you if you're a bourbon drinker. And yeah. frankly, like, you can't go wrong. You really can't. Um, I had, you know, on my birthday... Uh, Folks would ask me, oh, what do you want for a birthday? I said, you know what? Just get me a bottle of bourbon. Yeah. You know, I'm not a difficult guy to shop for. Bourbon, you can't go wrong. Uh, someone's going to you know, think of you uh, for giving them these hours of enjoyment. Hopefully, you're spending hours of drinking your bourbon and not just like downing it under one. But uh, <laughs> it's a gift that you can't go wrong with. Um, so I know you've been sipping on something very decent, Josh. Yeah. Well, I've got I, currently like what's sitting in front of me is this little book. It's called and little book, you know, if you know your bourbon, uh, it's from the family of Freddie Noe, who's a, I think he's like eighth generation, uh, Jim Beam guy and came up with a new and old, uh, distilling that is, it's just like, it's fabulous. Everybody loves it. Uh, I love it. And I, I, I encourage you to get it. But one of the reasons why I think, I think that it is so perfect to get bourbon is because there's a natural escalator here, mm-hmm. right? If you've got a lot of money, there's a plenty of, of bourbons to get that are very hard to get and very expensive. You know, your, your pappies of the world and things like that. If, if this has been a tough year, 2020, which so many of us there, it has been a very difficult year. There's also very approachable low end bourbon. Yeah. Let me tell you like a, a bottle of Elijah Craig, they're, they're standard small batch that you can get at any ABC store across America for under 30 bucks, 30 bucks. That's honestly probably my favorite sip in bourbon. Like I never go wrong with, with a nice bottle of Elijah Craig small batch. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, look, we've got, if, if people want to uh, keep DMing about this, I'm happy to keep talking about it. Cause there's a ton of great stuff out there, but and- uh I got uh, some traction. So folks are asking on my Instagram what was one of the bottles I posted. So you get, if, if you're willing to splurge a little bit on yourself, this isn't one of the pappies, you know. If you're willing to spend a little more, 
I got my hands on a bottle of Stag Junior. Uh, they, they come out, I think, twice a year. You can get batches of it. And one just dropped last week. And I encourage folks out there, this is a great gift. Uh, see if you can get your hands on it. I'm telling you, in a week or two, you're going to spend double what you can get it for right now. Uh, and it, it, it sips like magic. So that's on, that's on my list. You want a good stocking stuffer gift? There you go. I love it. I love it. All right. So topic one, let's get to this stuff. We're talking about the coronavirus bill and I am laughing my ass off at the media <laughs> coverage of this thing because they've got Nancy Pelosi who's twisted herself into pretzels all summer long, trying to justify basically not negotiating and saying, actually, let's play, let's play audio on this. There's a, a clip uh, of Nancy saying nothing is better than something. Let's play that. Is it better to go forward with some? No, it isn't. Thank you so much for that question, because I hear it a lot, and clearly it springs from all the good intentions we all have to help people as soon as we can. So don't be misled by thinking, oh, well, a little bit is better than nothing. No, it isn't. Isn't something better than nothing? No. And, And so when people say, as some of you do, isn't something better than nothing? No. And and. Some of you have asked, isn't something better than nothing? No. So this is what she's got, right? This is what she's saying is nothing is better than something basically all summer long. What the nothing that came up that, that they came up with is basically what she's now in front of camera is saying is like this grand bipartisan achievement. It's, I mean, it's honestly, it's shameful the way that the media has covered this and, and not brought up that purely for political reasons. And she has said herself, she was waiting until the election. So purely for political reasons, the Dems stalled getting relief to Americans who are suffering due to these shutdowns. You know Unbelievable. what? We don't even have to take your word for it. We got audio on that too. Let's, let's get the audio queued up of Pelosi saying that she's going to do a deal now just because Biden has been elected. Game changer. A new president and a vaccine. So there's nothing to, these are different. What, what was then before was not more of this. This is, has simplicity. It's what we've had in our bills. It's for a shorter period of time, but that's okay now because we have a new president. So I, I just don't know how Democrats continue to justify this because if you remember right before the election, Mnuchin, the, the secretary of the treasury, went to House Democrats much to Republicans' uncomfortability, frankly. Instead, the president is willing to sign something that is as large as $1.8 trillion, right? Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. mean, there's a lot of people, including me, speculating that Senate Republicans would have a tough time passing something like that. Like, it's, it, was, it was massive. But he offered it, and she said, no, she won't do it. And what was clearly the calculation that she made at the time is that it was going to hurt the president in his reelection if the American people were fundamentally in a worse place economically than they would be if she provided the relief. It's the most cynical, ugly, political calculation you can make. But as she's sitting in front of her two freezers eating ice cream, that's Mm -hmm. what she makes consistently. Yeah. And like I said, I have to go back to the way that, you know, our journalists, our brave firefighters have covered this. There was this tweet, uh, by, by Sarah Ferris, who is 
the congressional reporter for Politico saying that McConnell's on the force saying there was no reason this package could have been signed into law multiple months ago. Clearly. He said, this will infuriate Dems who've been trying to pass COVID relief since May. Have they really? Have they really? We've got the audio and the facts to back it up, and these people call themselves reporters. I mean, part of the problem that we have, and I don't know this, this lady, but part of the problem we have is that in journalism today, particularly on Capitol Hill, a lot of smart, talented, totally naive, completely young reporters get their start there. And what happens is that they get assigned a beat. Mm-hmm. And she has been assigned the Pelosi beat. Right. And how do you get good stories out of the Pelosi environment? But it's to say stuff like that stuff. that's like, Hey, the sky is red. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm going to ignore every bit of reality that's presented itself over the last six months. And I'm going to give the Pelosi talking points on Twitter. I mean, I hope that it resulted in a good story for it because it's just like nonsense. It's sad. And you know, I was talking to one of the few reputable journalists last week uh, and we were talking about how absurd the coverage has been of the Dems and, and specifically of Biden. And he was like, you know what? A lot of my coworkers have basically agreed uh, to push whatever talkers the Dems want, hoping they'll get access. And they get access and it's nothing. You just get more, you know, talking points. That's what they sold out for. It's pathetic. It's, it, at some point, they're going to wake up and realize they've made a tremendous error, right? They had an administration that provided unparalleled access. You got unvarnished thoughts of the president of the United States on a day-to-day basis. And what they traded it for was a bunch of establishment hacks that are, are going to do you know, all kinds of left ridiculousness through the agencies and then give you the straight-faced nod and, oh, nothing to see here on the record stuff from the podium. And that's like not where we are as a society, right? Our, mm-hmm. The American people are not in a place where they're willing to have just sort of like a public service announcement every day. You know, and I wanted to, I want to get one, one last audio clip in this section because I think it's important. The role of Ruthless is basically to provide the people with the facts that the, the journos and the mainstream media will not give them. Um, our friend Steve Guest pulled a great video the other day of Nancy Pelosi on September 21st, 2020, saying she was proud Democrats blocked Corona relief uh, from reaching the American people. Let's, let's run that clip. And uh, Republicans have put forth an emaciated, as Chuck Schumer calls it, an emaciated bill, and I'm so proud that every Senate Democrat voted against it. This is the skinny uh, bill. This, it, it, the emaciated bill, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> the skinny bill. I'll give it to you. And it, when people call it a skinny deal, I said, there's no such thing as a skinny deal. I mean, it just says it all. Yep, black and white. It so just says it all. And the it, way it, that these journals are just trying to gaslight the American people is shameful. And, and they don't, like, if you were to take in a minute of analysis, like, you, you know, look, 20 years ago, journal, the role of journalists were to an, analyze what it is that these guys are doing and tell the American public what the news is, mm-hmm. right? The news here is that there is a, a package that is about to pass that will help a lot of segments of the United States of America, no question about it, a lot of people that need help, it will do that. Is it everything? No. Is it, is it a good place to land? It is. But this package looks almost identical to what Mitch McConnell introduced in July what he talked about in August, what they voted on in Senate Democrats filibustered, which Nancy Pelosi says she's proud of, 
in September and October and said that she wasn't going to do anything until or unless Trump was defeated. That is the reality that we're living in. And unless you either listen to this program or you, or you are extremely active on Twitter, you would have no idea. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's shameful that Dems blocked coronavirus relief for this long. And it's shameful that the media acted as their complete enablers and gaslit the public on this, um, yeah. which is, you know, a, a nice seg into our, our next section. Uh, speaking of absurd reporters pushing the Dem talking points and gaslighting the public, news broke the other day that Sam Stein has joined Politico as White House editor. I mean, I just, I, it <laughs> so if you consume any political media at all, you know that Sam Stein is a avowed liberal. He doesn't try to apologize for nope. it. In fact, in some ways, I kind of respect him because he, he's just out in the open with it. He worked at <laughs> Huffington Post. He's a contributor at MSNBC. He's a regular on Morning Joe. He's now, the before this job, the editor at the Daily Beast. If you look at his Twitter account, it is consistently attacking Republicans, Republican points of view, the administration, everything. That's just who he is. That's fine. We have, we've got folks like Sam Stein's too. too. The, difference, the difference is, imagine at some point if a major publication like Politico announced that Smug or I were in charge of their political editing. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of folks, because, I mean, it's not like he's the most famous guy. A lot of folks might not know who the hell Stan, Sam Stein is. Let me, let me just give you a little intro into who he is with this tweet that he sent out on November 16th. It says, according to Biden campaign metrics, online chatter about the Hunter Biden story during the elections last week was greater than it was around Hillary's emails during the last month of 2016. The difference? It never spilled over into mainstream outlets. He is just like spiking the football on hiding the news about Hunter Biden before the election. And now, now what do we know about that, folks? Now what do we know? It's become it's apparent true. to everyone that, you know, Hunter Biden is a crook. And we have a, a special counsel looking into this. So this guy's, this guy's official position is congratulations, journos, on doing the collusions with the Biden campaign to make sure the American, make sure the American people didn't know the truth about what was being propagated out into the public by at that point the New York Post, which as you remember, Twitter suspended their account. Unbelievable. We're like, actually saying what we now know to be true. You want you want collusion and election interference? What was done to hide that Hunter Biden story? There you go. I mean it's unbelievable and they did it in plain view and that's the thing is now he gets a promotion you know this is the guy whose job is now supposed to be as white house editor to be you know the critical eye covering the biden administration when he spiked you know the football on covering up the hunter biden story and they're doing it openly i mean and it's just not it's not one instant the funny thing is is it it also illustrates how much worse the media has become you know, there's always been a liberal bias. We get it. Everybody lives in New York, Washington, D.C., L.A., San Francisco, liberal places, right? So there's an element of just basically being around your surroundings and being, having a liberal tent. But what has happened over the last four years has been so dramatic 
that a guy like Sam, who, by the way, I know Sam. Sam is like one of, one of those guys, it's like your liberal friend, right? You don't agree on anything. I happen to think Sam's actually a nice guy. I, I get along with him pretty well. I would never put him in charge of news information. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, that's to talk about the fox in the hen house. So, so, but like, I love, again, and I know you mentioned him earlier, but Steve has got the best stuff. Yeah. Steve Guest, folks, if you don't follow him on Twitter already, you really should. You really should. So he, <laughs> he did this really funny, really tricky deal where he sent out a tweet as himself saying, this is really troubling. We're blurring the lines between news and punditry even further than opening ourselves up to legitimate questions about readers and, and White House press corps and where they get information. So, so you're like, oh, well, that was kind of like an introspective <laughs> tweet for a, a guy who does rapid response for the Republican National Committee. Well, what he didn't tell you is that was a quote from the New York Times' Peter Baker when the White House press corps admitted Sam Stein back in 12, 2012. He was troubled. This is like one of the dean of the of the press corps at the White House, he was so troubled by his admission into the press corps at the time that he felt like he needed to speak out against a fellow journalist. Folks, when the New York Times thinks someone has too much of a liberal bias, <laughs> oh, wow. Wowie, wow, wow, wow. That, that's got to be a warning sign. Uh, and th- th- this is the thing is, you know, why you should care about this. This is about a journal who spiked a story that would have ruined Joe Biden getting this promotion and they're doing this in plain sight. Know that no one will call them out on it. And that's, you know, that is why this show that's exists. That's, that's why Ruthless thing. exists. Exactly. You're never going to hear about this from anyone else in the media. You're it's never brazen. Gonna, everybody's going to sit around and say, gosh, you know, how did this happen? How, how is it that we continue to have such a left, leftward lens on obvious political reality that doesn't exist to these people. The reason is that they keep doing this. I'm not, this, it would be no exaggeration to say the Politico is hired comfortably smug as their White House editor. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that. Like, Josh and I are great friends, but he knows that would be a bad idea. I would be a bad idea. (laughs) Shit, I admit, I would not be, you know, unbiased covering President Trump. Um, But that's, you know, this is the thing is, remember how, you know, journalists say Obama didn't have any scandals? Well, here we go again. When the folks who are supposed to be watching the hen house, you know, this is unbelievable and they're doing it in plain sight. This is why Obama didn't have any scandals because all the journalists wanted to be his friends. Yeah. Well, so guess what? Keep tuning into Ruthless because we're not going to bury our heads in the sand here, you know, and we're going to hold people accountable. Frankly, like I said, Sam is somebody that I get along with. I'm more than happy to rake him through the coals here because this is, this is bullshit. This should not happen. This is why we have such a broken media culture in America. And the fact that they did it unapologetically, that they felt like they didn't even need to put spin on it. Like that, that, that Sam didn't have to put out a statement saying like, look, I know I've done opinion journalism forever, but my commitment is to the news. He didn't even do that. Yeah. He didn't even need to do it. And it's a cavalcade on Twitter of congratulations for Sam in his new job. Congratulations. I am certain that you're going to provide even footing for Republicans going forward. Right. Yep. Yep. Congrats, Journal Twitter is the worst, by the way. Like, ugh. It's the worst. But, it's- um, you know, speaking of being friends with 
liberals. Uh, we have a, an interesting interview today, a great interview, <laughs> friend of the pod, Guy Benson. Uh, and, and like I'd mentioned earlier, folks, you know, you might get a little fake news. Short guys tend to stick together. So about Rubio supporter Guy Benson may, may provide some fake news on some people's sides. I can't speculate. I haven't heard the interview, but he's still a friend of the pod. Great guy. He's a gentleman. He's funny. Uh, you know, not all of us always agree on everything, but I will always agree that this guy is good for commentary, man. Is he just, he keeps it light. He's generationally appropriate. You know, he's not giving us the back in my day crap that we hear from, <laughs> from so many off the right. He's just a, he's just a, a really solid commentator. And so here's the interview. Well, here we are. We're back I, with an unbelievable interview. Something I know that our, our, uh, listeners have been looking forward to for quite some time since we previewed this on the Guy Benson show. It's television personality, Guy Benson. How are you, sir? I'm awesome. It's great to be here. Although I do find it always disappointing on Ruthless that Smug, <laughs> Smug doesn't participate in these interviews. I don't know where the little guy is. I mean, is he, oh. is he just too busy for this? Is he off fundraising for Marco? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, maybe one day he'll deign to participate in a Ruthless interview. Well, something tells, me, something tells me he's, his plan is to bracket this interview because he, he had heard the commentary <laughs> that you'd had uh, and he felt the need to you know, sort of come in on both sides. Oh, I see. So he's going to pre-butt and rebut the yes. interview without like live ammo from me yeah. going toe to toe. Okay, well, that's brave. Well, and that's just the way we run things here at Ruthless. No, I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Smug's a genius. It's, uh, well, Merry Christmas, my friend. I'm, Merry I'm, Christmas. What, We're still what, allowed to say that for the next few weeks. We've got a, a, a limited shelf life. It's outlawed now. again under Joe. You and Adam have any plans over the holidays? Or are you guys just uh, keeping a low profile? We are going to his parents' house and just having okay. a very tight group there. Um, so I fly out Wednesday. He's already out there, but I got a few Fox obligations. So home alone for the next night or two just with the dog there you go there you go that's not bad all this time of year either though you're gonna have a lot of family obligations it sounds like the next couple of days you might as well take a load off have a bourbon or two yeah bourbon sounds nice and the thing is with it's it's a little sad because we have so many really good family traditions around christmas and i'm not going to be seeing my direct family at all this year because we just decided my parents are you know retired and the comorbidity issue there and we're just playing it safe. I'm flying to Colorado. I don't view flying as a huge risk, but it's going to be a small group out there. So we're just trying to like split the difference here, being safe, not being, you know, overtly flaunting of guidelines, doing our part without <laughs> just completely shutting the whole thing down, which I know some people are doing. Yeah. And I was, I respect that. Um, we're, I mean, it's like, like a hybrid approach. Yeah, yeah you're, you're hardcore like that. Let me ask you a couple of bio questions because I think everybody gets a chance to see you and appreciate your commentary on Fox. Uh, they don't know. You grew up in New Jersey? Did I read that correctly? Well, I grew up overseas and okay. then New Jersey. So born in the Middle East, grew up in Southeast Asia, and then moved back to the New York area where my parents are both from and were deciding among a few different potential sort of counties in the tri-state area to settle in. And we picked Bergen County, New Jersey, a town called Ridgewood. And, Loved and, it. Great place to grow up. 
your your folks still living around the area or you I, they they finally threw in the towel on New Jersey taxes yeah. um and so their their beach house that they had is in Massachusetts so they like picked the worst <laughs> tax states possible right so like well we might as well have one terrible tax situation as opposed to both they were so sort, they, sort of rooting for Nancy Pelosi in the salt uh, issue then i imagine i actually wasn't because <laughs> on on principle it was important for that uh, for that deal to go through, and I do find it hysterical that they were trying to like put that into a COVID relief bill. Tax cuts for rich blue state people was crucial to our national recovery from this <laughs> pandemic. Amazing! Which, it's the Democrats. I'll remind you, the Democrats were trying to pull that off, which somehow somehow went totally unnoticed, which we'll get to in a minute by our our national oh, media. Gosh, uh, I wonder how. <laughs> well, you know these people. And this is the second point I was going to get into here. You know these people. You went to Northwestern. You're a proud wildcat. Yeah, go cats. Yeah. Uh, and so you basically, from my understanding, that means that you basically went to school with every journalist alive. There's a lot of us. There's a ton. Yeah. yeah. So how, how do you emerge from overseas New Jersey and Northwestern as a conservative? I would think that it almost be unavoidable to be indoctrinated as a live at that point. Well, I mean, what I liked about my time there was it was definitely a left of center school. Most people were sort of by default lefty, especially on like social issues, but it wasn't radical. It wasn't a radically left-wing place. It's gotten a little bit more radical parts of it, like a sliver of sort of the woke left there as is true on a lot of campuses. But I felt like I could actually say things. And I did like, I got booed and hissed in (laughs) class. That happened. I got into a huge debate with a journalism professor who was the most intimidating journalism professor they had. I don't know if she's still there. Ava Greenwell, African-American woman, which is relevant to the story, which is why I mentioned her race really, really good. And like the toughest prof. And I had her for kind of the biggest crown jewel class in my journalism curriculum. And she brought up in class one day, the, the student newspaper, the Daily Northwestern, had made this big announcement, self-congratulatory, that there had been a whole string of, of muggings just off campus. And they yep. decided that they were going to stop publishing descriptions of the suspects because it perpetuated stereotypes. And she thought this was wonderful. And I'm like, she's like, does anyone disagree? And I look around and it's just like crickets. Oh, I'm like, so I'm like, oh, so I groan and I, up comes the hand. Like, oh, here we go. And I was like, look, especially with suspects still at large committing (laughs) crimes against students, I feel like it is who, what, where, when, and why is journalism. Who the, so I asked, like, if it was an Asian woman committing these crimes, would that be something that should be censored from the Daily Northwestern? And she was like, oh, I'm not sure. Well, Well, why not? So oh, then there I you go. I'm like, oh, why yeah. not? I said, who, who's perpetuating stereotypes? And so we actually sort of got into it and people were like cringing, but listening with like popcorn. And at the end of the class, I had a few people whisper to me that they agreed. Oh. She called me to her office and she was like, I just want to say, I really respect that you went toe to toe and made some good points. You got to love that. See? Yeah. That's good. That's teaching. That's okay. See, that's okay. It's like the crazy woke indoctrination where everyone's afraid to talk. It has gotten like, I'm not that young, but I'm not that old. It doesn't seem like that long ago that I was there, 
but it is so much worse these days, not just Northwestern. I think actually Northwestern is better than a lot of places because they've got some people there who actually care about free speech, but just in the Academy, it it has gotten definitely crazier. Um, I I was supposed to speak at Brown and I did speak at Brown last couple of years. And they, they like had this whole manifesto, these left-wing students got a bunch of people to sign it that I shouldn't be allowed to speak because I am a white supremacist. What? Because free, believing in free market capitalism is white supremacy. This was in their, their manifesto against me. And they called me a bunch of things, including homophobic. <laughs> and I was like, who wants to tell them? Uh, so I just, I showed up. Brown actually did a great job of, they, they had all these security. They had like armed security. They had a backup plan. They're like, here's your exit route. Your escape oh. route, like this crazy stuff. They're like, we've got a, a live stream set up in an undisclosed location. If we have to do it there, I'm like, this is nuts. This is That's crazy. it's me. It's yeah. I, you know, it's not like you know, I'm not like some fringe figure out there, but. That's that's where we are, I guess. Well, that's I mean that is just so stunning because you know you do you read about you know how some of the more hot button conservatives go to campus and you know basically some of them sign up to be protested because it's part of their thing, but but for a guy Benson, host of the guy Benson show, I mean, he's a pretty mainstream conservative, very intimidating figure. Here. <laughs> I mean, heaven forbid if our I mean, children hear the views physically of this man. imposing. <laughs> physically imposing and terrifying. And I, the last thing I'll say is I remember one guy, one of the security guys, a police officers like, um, and by the way, we do have uh, people checking bags and other things uh, to, in case anyone were to bring like a weapon. I'm like, a gun? He's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, like, these are left-wing brown students. Ain't nobody got a gun. <laughs> okay, these are brown students. And he's like, he, and he like sort of chuckled. He's like, fair <laughs> enough, but we have to. Um and it ended up going off without a, out of, like three or four of them walked out as I very dramatically walked out, like three of them. And they, and they live streamed their walkout. Oh yeah. It was and like, it was very brave. It was like Selma. <laughs> I was like, wow, look at these brave, brave people walking out on me. Uh, and the rest of them stayed and I took every question they had. And I even hung out and chatted with them at some length afterwards. And I don't think they were in any mood to change their minds, but like, that's still better than yeah. some of these insane alternatives. Anyway, we've, we've gone down a rabbit well, hole. Well, now, since this is one of the things that we appreciate most about you, Guy, because, you know, in this era, I think we have found clownery on all sides, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's this, this incessant need to be clown each other, be clown ourselves. I've always said that, that President Trump's great superpower is revealing his critics and he, but he also reveals his allies and he sort of strips away the entire theater of politics. And he, he lifts the curtain and shows you basically who's the fraud and who's not, right? And, and a lot of fraud. And there's a lot of fraud. There's a lot of fraud. But one of the things that we've noticed is a lot of the people that we've come to respect in the- It's a tremendous, <laughs> tremendous amount of fraud, quite <laughs> frankly. Okay. <Nice laughs> A lot of people that we've respected for years have become complete clowns in this era. Mm-hmm. You've managed to avoid all of this. And I'm curious as to your thoughts, one, if you agree with my assessment, but two, sort of how do you navigate the water here when you're you know, so easily classified as, as one of the two, either a sellout or a, 
or or a never Trump or an always Trump. Um, but you're just a, a conservative guy who gives his conservative thoughts pretty routinely. I'm glad that you think that, and I appreciate that. And it means a lot because you so often hear most loudly from the people who are furious with you, right? Um, I feel like we're in an era where shamelessness is like the coin of the realm. It is valued. And just the more shameless you are, the more rewarded you are. Like the incentive is to be a shameless tribal hack. Yeah. Um, more so than ever. And the thing is with Trump, like to me, it, it hasn't necessarily been that challenging because I was like, quote unquote, never Trump in 2016. I opposed him completely in the primaries. He was, you know, not in my top 16. Um, I didn't vote for him in the general, though, of course, I didn't vote for Crooked H. Um, and then he won, right? And so at that point, there's like a pivot point for someone in my shoes. Either you are like, well, he's the president now and he's a Republican, so like I'm on the team. Oh, well. Or you're like, well, screw this. I'm in the resistance, yeah. which is what a lot of the Never Trump people did. They just became like Lincoln Project clowns, right? right? Um, and... To me, I, I was like, well, hang on. Now it's easy. I'm sometimes Trump. When mm-hmm. Trump is doing things that are right, and Ben Shapiro has used that term, sometimes Trump, when he's doing things that I like and support, I'm not going to like twist my entire ideology into contorted pretzels to be upset about things that I support, which we saw, like there were some mind blowing ones. There still is. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. It's it's nuts. It's nuts. So when he was doing stuff that I love, I'm like, go for it. There's a clip that gets thrown in my face all the time of me putting on the MAGA hat on Fox because I was paying off a bet and it was about Gorsuch and Gorsuch is my favorite justice. It was an amazing pick. All of the president's picks on the Supreme court have been incredible. And it's one of the greatest legacies, if not the greatest legacy he's got. And because he had put someone amazing on the court, because there was some, some doubt about who he was going to pick and was he going to stick to the list, I said, if you put a qualified younger constitutionalist on the court, I'm going to wear a MAGA hat on TV. So I did. So people use that against me like I'm a, like I'm a Trumpy switch. Right. They're like, oh, he, he just, he completely, you know, went in the tank for Trump, which would definitely come as news to the hardcore Trump people who think that I'm still a never Trump. Hack, but right? I'm a hack. I'm a hack in both of their minds. So I've just been sometimes Trump, and I think when he's done stuff that I don't like, there's policy, there's like personal behavior in the tweets and stuff. To me, it's like, okay, is it worth picking this battle to be mad about? So there's a lot of stuff that I didn't like. Where I was just like, okay, I don't like it, but I'm also not going to lose my mind over it. I'm not going to waste the capital being mad about it because it's really not that important. When I felt like it was important, and a lot of this nonsense that he's pulling after the election, I think is really bad. Um, you know, I'll say it, but I try to pick my spots without just being a fanatical, reflexive person who's going to oppose him all the time. And I think, in terms of the way that he governed, in many respects, he vastly outperformed my expectations and basically saved the courts, which is mm-hmm. like one of my number one issues. So. I don't know. I think, I think he's got a, a mixed legacy as president. I do find him, I have to admit, like quite entertaining much of the time. He is entertaining. He just yeah. is. He can, be, he can be very funny. Yeah. And then sometimes the act, when it starts to cross, into, it, across a line, it wears thin and becomes an issue. But 
I don't know. I just, I haven't spent the last four years like worshiping the guy or constantly mad about him. Yeah. Because neither neither one is like how I feel. Right. I mean, do you think that that so much of what we've seen out of particularly conservative and liberal media has been this just sort of doctrinaire following? Like basically you just try to get ahead of the parade. It's Trump train or resistance, like pick a lane. Yeah. And that's it. And anyone trying to do something else is sort of viewed with suspicion by everyone else, but you know. So what, how, what, what, where does that go now? How, what happens now here? You know, we've got a, a president-elect Biden. You're going to have Republicans in a resistance camp for the first time in four years. You've got, you know, a bri- bifurcated to say the least conservative media culture out there. Like where, mm-hmm. where do we, where does it head? I honestly don't know. I know that my number one priority for the last few weeks that I've just been flogging on my show every day is Georgia because mm-hmm. it'll be a lot worse with a democratic Senate and a democratic controlled everything. Um, it, it's a lot better to have, I think if you've got Biden in the white house, Kamala Harris, no longer as important as a tie-breaking vote, Nancy Pelosi clinging by a thread to a majority in the house and Mitch McConnell running the Senate the outcomes in terms of preserving good things and avoiding bad things will be much, much better than we will with Democratic full control. Because I think Biden ultimately is like an old school Senate make a deal kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Um, If he feels constrained by that, by having McConnell, for example, running the Senate, I think you'll see a much more sort of moderate gridlock filled couple of years, which I'm fine with for the most part. If we're not going to have Republican control, this, there are worse alternatives. But if the Democrats win things back and you've got really crucial issues, 50-50 ties with Schumer running the agenda and, and Harris showing up and, and breaking these ties, I mean, that, that would be really problematic. So I guess between now and January 5th, it's hard for me to really care that much about the future of the party or whatever, because that has to be job number one. And I know you guys have been all over that on Ruthless too. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have said it better myself. It, it, everything that we talk about gets exponentially worse if somehow those two Senate seats don't come our way. I mean, you've got everything from statehood for four new Democratic senators, D.C. and Puerto Rico, to, you know, I mean, look, we laugh when we think about things like the Green New Deal and, and the insanity of the things that they put together. But does anybody really believe there's going to be a Democrat that stands up against that? No. Be like the deciding vote against it? And no. you think... You know, Joe Biden's not going to whip out the veto pen, right? <laughs> right. He's not going to stand up to the people in his party way off to the left. But if he's forced to, then I think he'd almost like secretly be relieved. Uh, like he went down to Georgia, nationalized those races. I'm like, is he trying to make them lose? <laughs> um, because the, and the, the thing is about Georgia too, and this is my last thought on Georgia. Obviously, like the math, like the basic math on the stage, it all comes down to these seats and and control of the Senate. Like you could take the names completely out of it and just be, you know, generic Republican A and B, Democrat A and B. It wouldn't really matter because of, of what's at stake. That aside, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, <laughs> seriously, like Warnock is like a little mini Jeremiah Wright. He's awful. Yeah. And he, he yeah. has said some really crazy, toxic, poisonous things. And he sort of pretends like bringing any of them up 
is just a, a low blow and he's just a gosh darn puppy loving pastor. It's like, no, dude, we, we can see the things that you've been preaching from your pulpit. Yeah, video exists. YouTube exists. Right. It's, it's not a smear. It's not a smear to use your own words. And then like my disdain for Ossoff is deeper because Warnock's at least like tried to do something with his life. Right. And Ossoff, I have yet to determine anything this guy has done ever no. with his life. Except he's got a, a really bad knockoff Barack Obama. Oh, he's so trying to be Obama. It's, it's, it's amazingly it's, it's It's so, and like, oh, and so like he's what my age, I want to say, and he's yeah. even less accomplished than I am. Like you have no business <laughs> being in the Senate. Like David Perdue's got to be like, I have done so many things in my life. How is this clown even within shouting distance? But look, we're, we're in a polarized country. I did, I think it was Smug who tweeted the gif of um, like there were three like heads. One was Buttigieg, one was Beto, and one was Ossoff. And you could just like interchangeably put the head on the body and like the lights come, you know, alive in the eyes. And you've got that type of politician just interchangeably. And I thought that was actually pretty insightful. I I am not a fan of that, that breed of Democrat. That's totally brilliant. I love it. We've got three questions for you. Before I get to that, Smug wanted me to ask you uh, about your thoughts on Rubio's vaccination. So yeah, I actually addressed this uh, this week on the radio show. You did, okay. So you have yeah. well well formulated thoughts. Yeah, uh, I think if you if you look at the video very closely or the photo very closely, they did some misdirection. But the the person administering the shot is smug. <laughs> so you know he moonlights as a nurse. That's how really he makes his money. Uh, people don't know that. I don't want to reveal too much about him. But um, so my position is, you have to have the same position on Rubio as you do on AOC, getting the vaccine. Uh Like either you think it is indefensible for younger, healthier people to be getting the shot ahead of others who need it more in terms of demographics and vulnerability, right? Um, Either you think it's bad for Rubio and for AOC, or you think, yes, they are not nearly as vulnerable, but it is worthwhile to have major figures with large followings, devotees like Smug in the case, really actually of both of them. Um, <laughs> he's, he's the rare crossover AOC Marco fan, uh, but mostly you have different camps of people who support those politicians and they both have a significant engagement on social media to show, yes, I believe this is safe, this is effective, I'm gonna take it. And setting that example to try to instill confidence. I think there's a strong argument to be made in favor of that decision. I see both sides of it, um, but I think you've got to have the same position for both of them because it seems like the people screaming at Rubio are libs like Democrats yeah. and smug and the people screaming at AOC are conservatives. And then they sort of like back off if it's their person. So <laughs> I, I lean a little bit toward it is better yeah. to have prominent people getting the vaccine to try to drive up confidence in the vaccine. But I had Congressman Mike Gallagher on from Wisconsin uh, this week, and I really like him. Um, and he's roughly my age, and he took the opposite view and articulated his position why very well. And, and I think that makes sense also. You're really going to stir smug up with this. Oh, he gets to rebut it when I'm not here to defend myself yeah. after the segment. So people, he's, he's just he's he's take his time with this one. Guys. He's stewing. <laughs> I can picture him. He's just, he's just stewing. He's watching little YouTube clips of 
blurry fireworks, which is what he does in his free time, pumping himself up to respond to my barbs. It sounds so good. Well, listen, hey, thank you. We've got three questions for you that we asked. Oh, by the way, one other thing. You were, we were supposed to talk about media bias. So let me just say, oh yeah, just overwhelmingly garbage. It's all It's so bad. They're not even pretending. They're not going to try to pretend. Uh, the Hunter Biden story, the way that they have or have not covered that is mind-blowing. Also, the one that is stuck in my craw, maybe more than any story, is it's a toss up between the way that they covered the protests slash riots versus any other gathering that they don't like. That's right. And then the way they have covered Ron DeSantis and his, his handling of the pandemic versus Andrew Cuomo. I, my brain melts down whenever I think for more than five or six seconds about it because it makes me so angry. Anyway, garbage is my, is my basic answer. Well, we're with you, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit about how they all self-promote in the program as well. So anyway, Guy Benson, thank you. Here's your first question. These, by the way, have great significance. They tell us a lot about your character, Mm. a lot about sort of the inner Guy Benson. So the first is your last meal. What would it be? Mm, I've wrestled with this one. The meal that I look forward to the most every year is the full Thanksgiving feast. But that's kind of tied up in tradition in the holiday. I would say I'm going to go full, like, effete coastal elite and say, like, a fabulous, really, really delicious, high-end, fresh sushi dinner. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We haven't had that one yet. Yeah. That, that's- Like, good stuff. Not like the, you know, the stuff that you get at the supermarket. Like, I want- Really good stuff. If it's the, like a, it's the a, last one, a sashimi of sorts. You don't want yeah. like a roll. You know, the California roll is not. Yeah, I, I want the chef preparing each roll by hand, and he doesn't speak a word of English, <laughs> right? Because he's he's you know he's just come over from Osaka or something like that. That would be just fantastic. You've left an elitist opening for Smug to capitalize upon. You know that guy. Oh, that's fine. But he also he exudes elitism. It's it's, it's really his brand. Right, he's like, I love real America as he slips into his $800 bed slippers, you know, to get ready for the evening with a, with a you know, $700 cigar and, and a, one sip of scotch that probably costs, you know, more than, than my car. All that's of this fine. Is, all of this is fair. All of this yeah, it's is something fair. to aspire to, frankly. Okay. Okay. I don't hold that against him. I hold a lot against him, but not, not his elitism. Okay. All right. So number two, if you're not in politics or political journalism guy, what is it that you do with yourself? Sports broadcasting. I love it. God, I love it. I read, I read something about you. Did you do that in high school? And college. Yep. I did oh, all four years of high school and four years at Northwestern. Um, football, basketball, hockey, lacrosse, um, baseball, softball. I did a lot of it. I did four summers in the Cape Cod Baseball League. Yeah, uh, for the Chatham A's uh, with my buddy, who's now a professional sportscaster. He's in the NHL. Um, huh. He's the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh man, play-by-play guy. Yeah, it must be terrific. There's nobody that does uh, better play-by-play than hockey broadcasters. He's he's really really talented. I I was not always I could keep up with football just barely because it's like punctuated bursts of action. Sure. Basketball and hockey, where it's constant movement, is a real challenge. Baseball was my forte. I was I was pretty good at baseball. Um, so yeah, awesome. yeah, sports so, play by play. I miss it sometimes. Play by play guy. Did you do it? Did you do any of the color or are you just straight play by play? Well, I mean, 
I did because we would switch off um, in various assignments who was play-by-play, who was color, depending on, you know, at, at Northwestern, you had different jobs depending on the game. In the Cape Cod Baseball League, we would alternate innings, not exactly, but we would, each of us would have certain innings to do. So by default, if you weren't on play-by-play, you'd go into color. I just always felt kind of clownish doing it because this may come as a surprise. I'm not really an athlete. (laughs) Um, So for me to sort of be giving really hardcore analysis on these sports that I have never played in any serious or organized way, I was out of my depth. So you did it, you kind of mimicked what you would hear and like some of the cliches would come out, but it was, it was not my area of expertise. I felt much more comfortable on play-by-play just describing what's happening in front of me and then preferably turning to someone who knows what the hell they're talking about to explain it. I love it. Well, we, we would definitely pay to, to watch this again. I would love to have you guy broadcasting a game that I'm watching. Let me get to the third question. This is arguably the most important. What motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? It's a tough one because like with sports, my most powerful memories tend to be thrill of victory. I, you're, always, you're always scarred by the bad defeats. And as a Northwestern fan, we've seen our fair share of those, right? So, one, right? Well, I mean, they played pretty well, you know, they against did. Ohio State. And, and we got a nice ball game coming up, although – I won't bore you with talking about the transfer portal and a nice basketball win over Michigan state top, top five team um, the other night, but you go back like throughout the entire second half of the Michigan state game, we just dominated Spartans wire to wire. We're up like, like 18 points in the second half. And all my friends are in a group chat saying, Oh man, this loss is going to suck. The, the collapse is coming any minute. Like we're sort of conditioned because we remember yeah. those collapses. I'm, listen, I'm from Minnesota. We have a long history in this regard. So I, I can sympathize. Yeah. So like you, you definitely, it's like in the back of your mind, but like when I think about the moments in sports where I have been overjoyed to the point of like almost getting emotional, it's always the thrill of victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and and po- politics is just sort of, I guess it's got to be different for you because you're so invested because you're working in your case, like for a specific candidate, like I'm rooting for people. There are politicians that I really like, like I, like when, when Obama won again in 12, yeah, like that was a tough, tough pill to swallow. Worse. Um, but I like, man, I go back, I think I was in college in 04 and walking into poli sci class the day after bush won and people were like literally in mourning oh that was fun <laughs> right so i think maybe i'm a more of thrill of uh, thrill of victory yeah i think you've i think you've outlined in specific detail where you land i think you've helped us through this and we've yes. helped you frankly guy there's really some color analysis actually if you think about it. <laughs> really was listen man we can't thank you enough for your time we enjoy everything you do we appreciate the candor that you bring to your job at fox every day uh and on your show i really can't say enough good things about your show you got great content on that well i appreciate that and i hope people will check it out uh if you need a second podcast on the depth chart underneath ruthless you can check out guy benson show podcast which is free your podcast open the very first time i heard it with the montage yes Oh my God, I lost it. <laughs> you don't think, you never do. <laughs> that one got to me so good. Uh, and, and you guys are, I think, filling, filling uh, a realm that, that 
needs to be filled on the right. Um, and it's enjoyable and it's fun. So uh, hats off. And I'm just honored that you guys were willing to, to have me, even though it was frankly just you. Uh, but, you know, Smug, Smug's got the knives sharp. He's got his beautiful set of Jinsu knives ready to go. He does. I can assure you. <laughs> Thank you, Guy. You have a great you night. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So he gave you the business, Smug. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what? Nice guy. Still someone who I love having a drink with. Uh, it's just short guys have their own chip on the shoulder, and I don't know what else to say about that. Great guy, though. Uh, and it was, it was great of him to come on the show. We really appreciate that. It was a good show. We got all the stuff in. We're going to come back to you one more time before Christmas, folks. We love uh, doing this. And we, just, need a, we need uh, a, a quick, like we promised the folks, a little bit on Georgia. Yeah. Oh, so, God. You know what? I know. And I've gotten the business from people getting <laughs> it. Uh, I'm not going to make that mistake. So here's the thing in Georgia, guys. Early voting is open. Mm-hmm. It's wide open. You can go to your poll anytime you want. Democrats are really, really good at bussing people to go do this. Yeah. If you are waiting for some reason to vote, I don't care how you go about getting yourself to the poll, just get there. Make it happen. Vote now. Make sure you get it in there. I, I've been assured by a full team of election lawyers, like directly, there is no funny business here. We have got people on every precinct every ground, litigation ongoing. We're not screwing around with this. If anybody so much as sneezes on a ballot, they're going to get their asses sued. Yeah. And, and, and that is good to know. I've heard there's like an army of Republican lawyers down there keeping an eye on things, especially when you've got a situation where like Andrew Yang is asking people to move down to Georgia to be able to vote and then get it out. We need every Republican out there voting. Uh, making sure we don't have Kamala Harris as the 51st vote in the Senate. And remember, that's my Christmas present. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Smug, take us out of here. This has been a great show. Absolutely. We got uh, another banger in the books. We're going to have another good one right before uh, Christmas. Get get folks into the holiday spirit. Um, So, Minions, until next time, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. Stay ruthless. We'll see you on Thursday.